This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 419. You don't want to have the, do I need this insurance discussion? That's the wrong place to start, but it is the question that the insurance industry wants us to ponder. And by the way, it's not a bad question, but there's just a much better one. The better question isn't what insurance should I buy? The better question is what risks am I running and how can I best tackle handling those? In these uncertain times, the basics matter more than ever. But for most of us, concepts like investing, budgeting, and getting out of debt just don't float our boats. And so we put them off longer than we should. Not today. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and your professional growth, because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that's a book I'm smacking, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today, we are joined by my friend, Joe Saul C. He's co-author of a book along with Emily Guy Birkin called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And super serious is definitely tongue-in-cheek because Joe is a funny guy, and this is a funny finance book. Didn't realize that was a thing. Well, it is. I'm going to be asking Joe about why so many struggle with budgeting and how to conquer the struggle once and for all. The number one thing you need to think about when it comes to risk management What Joe means when he says Benjamin stacking is all in your head and plenty more. And if you're smart, and I assume you are because you chose to listen to this podcast, you know that it doesn't end with reading. The next stage is implementation oftentimes, putting into practice, actually executing on what we've learned and what we've read. And that's a struggle for a lot of people. How many times have you taken notes on a book and you've tucked them away or you've written them in the book or whatever, and you never go back and look at them ever Again, that used to be my issue. If you're interested in tips, powerful tips for not only putting into practice more of what you read, but also making connections between something maybe you read today and something you read two months from now, be sure you're on my mailing list. I'll be talking about some of the ways I accomplish that in the coming weeks. The easiest way to get on my mailing list is simply go to readtoleadpodcast.com and there is a form in the upper right of the page where you enter your first name and your email address. I also send you a free gift, by the way, when you do that. It's readtoleadpodcast.com and just look for that form on the upper right of the page and I'll make sure you get those reading tips that so many of us desperately need and can benefit from. Sound good? Okay, great. Again, it's readtoleadpodcast.com. Joe Saul C. learned from failure, destroying his credit immediately after leaving home. He had to learn about money the hard way and much of it as he was telling other people how to manage their money as a financial advisor. After 16 years in the industry, he moved to financial media, creating Stacking Benjamins, one of the most listened to podcasts in the personal finance sphere. Kiplinger has called the show the best personal finance podcast, and Fast Company has described it as striking a great balance between fun and functional. His new book is called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. Well, Joe, uh, I'm excited to finally have you on the Read to Lead podcast. We've known each other for years, uh, seen each other at various podcast conferences. You finally got around to writing a book, and I can have you on my show now. So welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I have to tell you, Jeff, there was one reason specifically I wrote the book, and it was so I could finally get on the Read to Lead podcast. So <laughs> thank goodness I've done it. I'm never writing up another book again, you know, unless I decide that hopefully maybe I could come back at some day. 
Oh, that would be great. Um, I want to I want to have you talk about or describe something that you referenced early in the book, and it's a relatively simple concept, but I think a powerful one at the same time. And that's this distinction you make between just general financial goals that most people make, and this idea of timelining your goals visually. Yeah, there is a uh, a frustrating thing that happens, as you know, every year. We are now well into 2022. And how many people are still working on those New Year's resolutions, Jeff? (laughs) I would bet out of the tens of thousands of listeners that you have, there's maybe three people that are still going, going at them. But there's a reason for that. And it's because we do these resolutions in a vacuum. And when I was a financial planner, and I was a financial planner for 16 years before transitioning over to financial media, where I've been for the past 12, but during those 16 years, I helped my clients by moving toward more visualizing stuff. Because I found I had a whiteboard in my office and I found that when I drew pictures, people remembered it. (laughs) And 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 when we when we would put things out visually against each other, we can make values decisions. And if money's about nothing else, it's really about what do we value most? And so timelining your goals works like this. Instead of writing goal number one, goal number two, goal number three, goal number four, take all of your goals, put yourself as a stick figure on a, on a regular you know, printer paper, uh, landscape style, put you as a stick figure on the left, draw a line, which is the rest of your life, and then make these circles. When do you want to be financially independent? When would you like to, if you have children, when do you want to put them through school? When do you want to make work optional? When do you want to, you know, maybe change jobs, go to a part-time job? If you want a second, whatever the goals are, you know, there's so many different goals out there, put them all on a timeline. And then what this does is many powerful things. First of all, like you, you and I get to do something really cool, Jeff. We get to talk to all these super interesting people. And like you, I've talked to some neuroscientists who Hmm. talk about how the brain works. And when you, when you put things out visually, you're subconscious brain begins working on everything, even while your conscious brain is working on other things. So two, three days from now, your subconscious brain will keep going back to this timeline where you see all of these circles. But what happens is this, you have all these different goals. You can now draw a line back from all those goals to today, and you can come up with some easy equations. So let's say we're talking about you. Let's say, Jeff, you need $5 to reach your biggest financial goal, whatever, just five bucks a month. That's all it's going to take. All right. Uh, times an 8% rate of return equals that goal. So every single goal comes down to a very easy equation like that. I need to save X amount of money. I need to get Y rate of return to get that goal. But then think about what happens. First of all, with that one goal, we can then do this. We can say, well, what if Jeff goes, what if I don't have five bucks? What if I only have $3? Well, now we can either change the budget. So we only really need to have a budget if we need a budget. I mean, a lot of people think I should have a budget, but why? But if I'm really saving for something and I'm not getting it and I value it, I should have a budget. So I may need to change a budget. Second thing is I can push the goal back. Third thing is I can decide this isn't that important and I can lower it. You know, maybe instead of retiring at 55, maybe 60 is okay. Or instead of 60, maybe 65, maybe I love what I do. So I can push, so I can start playing with that. On the other side, people worry about investments. You know, there's so many different investments out there. There's a bajillion, I think, is the is the, is the technical <laughs> number of, of investment choices. And we see all this stuff on Instagram, on TikTok and Facebook, wherever people are like, oh, I got this investment. And our, our brain says, is this a good opportunity? 
Should I get into it? That's not the right question. The real question is, is is that opportunity equal to this goal? Does it really fit the goal? So what I can do then, if I need an 8% rate of return, instead of worrying about all the different investments out there and trying to explore and decide, are they good or are they bad? Now I just focus on investments that have done 8%. And what happens then is now I can go deep on just a few types of investments instead of trying to know everything about everything, which is completely impossible. And then there's one more thing. And that's, what if I can't get all these goals? If I can't get them all, now we're having a wonderful conversation. And that conversation, whether it's internal, if it's you or with a spouse or a friend that you're planning with, is which of these goals are most important to me? There was a study done recently, and I even know if I referenced this in the book by a group called Nonfiction, that reported that about 150 million people in America report that they've cried about their money. They've cried. Mm. You'd think that that's a lot of people who, like I was at one point, I was living paycheck to paycheck in the early 90s. I was really struggling with money. You'd think that's a lot of people like that. Turns out, yes, that's right. However, of people making $250,000 or more, Jeff, of those people, nearly half of those people report that they're crying about money. Wow. Now, the most popular question I get about money is what's hot? What's new? What's fun? Well, the fact that central bank digital currency might be a part of our life, which is the hot new thing, <laughs> I don't think anybody's crying about that. I don't <laughs> think they're crying about the eight bit tree NFT that they're trying to buy. Mm. I, don't, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're, they're crying about megabacked or Roth IRAs maybe going away. They're crying because they don't have these basics and we're not spending money according to our values. So when I timeline my goals and I get them all against each other, like an MMA fight, I let them fight it out (laughs) for what's really most important. I start then aligning my goals with my money and that's when a better life happens. Mm, I love that. You mentioned a moment ago that maybe some people don't have to have a budget. In the book, you talk about what your experiences taught you about some of the reasons people struggle with budgeting. If I struggled, did you just give me an out a minute ago? (laughs) (laughs) I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I might have. It depends on how bad you need a budget. You know, my friend Paula Pant at Afford Anything has this wonderful budget she calls the anti-budget. And the anti-budget is one of my favorites. And that is I make sure that everything I need to save for is automatically set aside so I can't see. I'm a total spender, Jeff. I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but, but, but I will spend money. Probably, I remember you and I one time talking in Orlando, and I think I had just spent like $50 at the booth next to us because I had mm-hmm. it in my wallet, mm-hmm. right? I love spending money. I, it just It's always been a part of my personality. So what do I do? I hide money for myself. <laughs> so if I automate my, everything I need to save for, and I only have available to spend what's in my wallet, I can spend that without really care, without, with the freedom of knowing that I'm not upsetting the apple cart of, of my goals. Your budget might need to be kind of tight though, if, if you're really beginning. And you know what? It also is a good... It's a good activity to do. You ever do that activity when you were working for, I'm sure you worked at radio stations and they might've done this stuff Mm. where they had you monitor your time in 15 minute increments. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that that drove me crazy. (laughs) I hated it, but Mm. it was a great lesson, right? Mm. To do for a few weeks. So maybe seeing where every dollar goes will give you more respect for those dollars so that you're better able to plan exactly where the dollar should go. I'll tell you my budget. My budget is Cheryl and I have a 20-minute meeting and uh, we certainly track our money. We use an app uh, called Marcus Insights. It used to be Clarity Money. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another app that we like for budgeting called Tiller HQ. Tiller, you have to pay for. Marcus Insights, you don't. The bad news about Marcus Insights, by the way, 
people go, Ooh, Marcus Insights is free. So I'm going to do that one. Remember, if it's free, you're the product. You're the product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is free. I like it. It was created by Adam Dell, Michael Dell, the famous Michael Dell's brother. Adam is equally a genius. It does a lot of cool stuff under the hood, but it very simply shows you how you spent money the week before. So Cheryl mm-hmm. and I spend 20 minutes. We take a look at how we spent money the last week. And then we spend the next 10 minutes talking about how we're going to spend money the next week. And to keep it fun, we always have a timer at the end of 20 minutes. And we always do it over wine or pancakes, depending on what time of day it is. So <laughs> it, could be, it could be wine and pancakes if <laughs> yeah. you hit it right. Yeah, you reminded me as you were talking there, you know, I used to struggle with giving to charity consistently. And I finally automated that process. And when I first automated it, I struggled with that because I thought, well, it doesn't take any effort on my part. It's, it's happening in the background. And I, I'm not even aware that it's happening. And I feel like it's, it's, it's charitable giving. I should be more active in it. But I finally resigned myself to go, well, if, if I don't do it that way, it's, it's less likely to happen. And so I finally just got comfortable with automating that charitable giving because at the end of the day, that's the only way it was going to happen consistently. Yeah, at least it gets done. Yeah. Yeah. I like some of these similarly. I like some of these apps. Once again, I don't know that we that we cover this specifically in the book. We do cover automation and mm-hmm. the fact that what you're talking about, automating things, make sure it gets done. So if you cut your cable bill as an example, or you get a better cell phone package, don't just go, yeah, I saved 30 bucks on my cell phone. Take that $30 and automatically save it somewhere so you capture that money. That's the key. But one thing that we don't talk a lot about are these uh, subscription apps. They're these apps. There's all kinds of them. Uh, Truebill, I think, is one of them where you sign up. Once again, they are free to sign up. You give it permission to look through your bank accounts. They, by the way, don't, and, and this is how you're the product, they do not sell you down the river personally, Jeff Brown. And here's how to, geez, look how Jeff spends money. That's horrible. They mm. don't do any of that, but they do say Jeff Brown, age X, who lives in this area. So they are selling your demographic information and that's mm. one way they make money. But when they look through it, they find all of your subscriptions and then they tell you, Hey, uh, we will cancel these for you. Very simply. You just press this one button. You don't have to call anybody. You don't got to wait on hold. You don't have to go through 16 things. We will cancel them. And all they ask, for if they do that is sometimes like one half of the next payment you would have paid. I resisted these apps forever. Number one, for the privacy concerns that I yeah. talked about earlier. I didn't want that, even though I knew it wasn't me. I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. And I'm not hiding anything. I just don't like it. it just seems creepy. Right. Second thing is I can do this myself. Like you giving to charity, I could yeah. totally do this myself. Yeah. And I realized one day, Jeff, I don't. I just just don't. So then I said, okay, so I give away half a month uh, to somebody who helped me automate this thing that I wasn't going to do by myself. And it got done. So by the way, to your point about charity, I did an interesting interview last year with a gentleman who talked about how if you have expertise and you're talking to people who have all kinds of expertise on your, not just people that you're talking to, like you and I are talking now, but a lot of people who are hanging out with us while they're on the morning commute. He said, and I love this for charitable giving, you can give $100 to a charity or you can give them your expertise. And in many cases, your expertise is worth well more than the hundreds or a couple thousand dollars you might give them. But because the expertise that you and I have around mm-hmm. podcasting and lending our voice to stuff, mm-hmm. like that is th- that stuff that a charitable organization can't find very easily. So I've actually tried to start doing both in my life charitably, tried to give a little bit of my, um, you know, a little bit of the, 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 the few things I've developed that I do well. 
I've, <laughs> I've tried to start helping some of the, the causes I care about. Well, you talked a moment ago about what's free, what isn't free, who's the product, who's not the product. This podcast is free, but I just want to let everyone know if you want to donate to me, you are more than welcome to do that. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Hey, I, I've heard of the idea of, of debt snowball, but reading your book was the first time I heard of something called the debt avalanche. What's, what's the difference? Yeah, the problem that people have with the debt snowball, which was popularized by Dave Ramsey, is that, well, and this is especially Jeff Money Nerds, because money nerds want to make sure that everything is optimized to the nth degree. And the problem with the debt snowball, so let's talk about the debt snowball first, and then I'll talk about Avalanche. People who don't know the debt snowball is that you take all of your bills and you line them up from the smallest amount you owe to the largest you owe. So if you're trying to pay off a lot of credit card debt, at one point I had five different credit cards and I had two loans. Uh, I had a car payment. I put all of those loans in order of size. And then you start paying them down in the debt snowball method. You pay them down from smallest to largest. And what that does, and, and really all huge credit to the Ramsey organization for this, is that when you pay off that small one, two things happen. You get this huge dopamine hit that you get like when you're shopping. You're like, yeah, I did something really cool. And it is, by the way, you get jazzed. You get mm. super excited when you pay something off. You take the money you're paying. Let's say it was $40 a month and you add that to the next thing. And then it goes on. So that's the debt snowball, the one that you knew. Well, money nerds look at this, Jeff, and they go, but my second big debt has a 22% interest rate mm. and my smallest one has an 8% interest rate. I don't want to keep paying 22% versus paying 8%. And so instead, the debt avalanche is where you line up your bills according to interest and you pay the highest interest ones first. Mm. Now, what it does is it gives you a win where maybe, depending on how much debt you have, you'll pay it off a week, a month, a couple months, a few months earlier. Hmm. What you miss out when you do the debt avalanche, you miss out on that behavioral hit, that high five that you get. And early on in your process, I found people need a lot of wins. So, But this is the thing where you look internally. So much personal finance is personal. If you don't feel like you need those little wins or you're good at going without them, generally my engineering clients yeah. who, who got way more frustrated by high interest rates use the avalanche. For most of the rest of us, the debt snowball, even though it might take you a little longer, the job will get done because you stick with it. Most of the time, it's not the strategy, right? It's the fact that we blow ourselves up. We blow up the strategy before we give it time to work. Mm. I want to move into risk management, if we can. What, in your view, Joe, is the number one thing we need to think about when it comes to risk management? I love that question. This is actually one of my two favorite parts of our book. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I feel like we do. I feel like we do a really good job all the way through the book, my co-author, Emily Guy Birkin and I. But this part, I'll put up against any of the people that I've interviewed the last 10 years because I feel like so many people get risk management wrong. Mm. First of all, we start risk management, Jeff, with this. An insurance company presents a product to us and says, are you covered for this? You don't want to have the, do I need this insurance discussion? That's the wrong place. That's the wrong place to start. But it is the question that the insurance industry wants us to ponder. Mm. And by the way, it's not a bad question, but there's just a much better one. The better question isn't what insurance should I buy? The better question is what risks am I running and how can I best tackle handling those? Mm. And what happens then, instead of thinking about which insurances I buy, I think much wider 
wider about what are my blind spots? What's my Achilles heel? And how am I going to protect those? And the first way and the best way to manage risk is to build that emergency fund, that cash reserve. Uh, I actually like calling it a cash reserve better than emergency fund because I think too many people think of an emergency fund as only emergencies. And man, if I score some great tickets to a concert that's coming to town and, and I get this chance to do these things that are on my bucket list, I've seen people give up bucket list items because they didn't think they had the money because they didn't want to go into the quote emergency fund. Mm. Think of it as opportunity and emergency. But when once you have this cash reserve, then what can we do? We can actually raise our deductibles on your car insurance, on your homeowner's insurance. Now, the deductible is the part that you're going to pay if you have an accident. However, you can now afford to self-insure, right? You can take those risks yourself. Right. If you, if you have enough assets, you may need less life insurance. You can also forget about short-term disability. If I have six months savings, I can go to my benefits package and go, no, I don't think I need to pay for the short-term disability coverage anymore. So people look at this emergency fund. I'm going to go back to real money nerds again. <laughs> And they go, what was inflation the last time? Seven and a half percent, right? Inflation's just going crazy right now. And they look at this and they go, Joe, but this, this emergency fund is paying less than one. Inflation's at seven and a half. Why would I sit money here when I'm really losing money? And it's a great question, but, but my comeback to that is your return on investment with this cash reserve is not, is not that 1%. It's the savings that we get on our homeowners. It's savings we get on our car insurance. It's the fact that we don't have to buy short-term disability coverage. It's also the fact that if if the market goes down, like it, you know, it's the last thing to think about with this Ukraine issue is what's happening to my money. So Mm -hmm. it feels it feels kind of shallow talking about it. But you know, as we record this a few days ago, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went down 600 points in a day. You can ride this stuff out Mm -hmm. if I have six months' money sitting in a savings account. I don't have to worry about being staying aggressive with my money because of the fact that I have this 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 cash sitting there. So uh, I, I love talking risk management. And by the way, one last thing, and this kind of turns insurance on its head. When I was a financial planner, I'd see people buy insurances and I'd ask, why do you have that? And they would generally say, well, it's cheap and it covers this very cheaply. Here's the way to think about insurance. Insurance has these very smart people sitting in the back room with very thick glasses called actuaries. And the actuaries are fantastic people, maybe not great at a, at a bar, at a party, but but they are incredibly, incredibly smart. If you're an actuary, I'm sorry. You've heard all the jokes before actuaries. Right. You know it. I have friends that are actuaries and they know all the best actuary jokes. Hmm. But, uh, but actuaries, what do they look at? They look at the risk to the insurance company. All insurance is regulated through the state, Jeff. So here's the way to think about insurance. And actually think about risk management even more than that. If the insurance is expensive, it isn't the fact that the company's ripping you off. Maybe they can rip off a state regulator for a year, two years, maybe, but they're not going to rip them off long-term. So let's just say you're not getting ripped off. These are very highly regulated, very competitive marketplaces. Mm. The reason it's expensive is because they have to pay out a lot. So if the insurance is expensive, it doesn't mean I want to buy that insurance, but it means I need to consider that risk. And I need to think about how do I solve that? And if the insurance is really cheap, well, then I can probably let it go. Case in point and both sides. Number one, with homeowners versus car insurance. For most of us, which insurance costs more, your homeowners or your car? Well, for most of us, it's the car. 
Yeah, the car insurance. <laughs> right. But think about which assets more. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's not your car. Right. right. <laughs> Hopefully. And why is that? It's because of the fact that you have a much higher likelihood of having something happen with your car. So your car insurance is really more important to make a good decision about than your homeowners. And don't get me wrong, you need to make a good homeowner's decision as well. On the other side, a lot of people listening to this have desk jobs. You sit and you type on the computer all day and you have accidental death and dismemberment insurance. Accidental death and dismemberment insurance pays, Jeff, when you lose your finger in heavy machinery, if right. you lose an eye. Like, like if, if I lose my index finger between the J and K key, <laughs> well, I'm typing, but this is super inexpensive insurance. Yet I would meet people that have it. I bet a bunch of people listening to this have it. And I ask why, why not take that and get rid of it and think about things like dis- real disability coverage, which uh, is once again, a more expensive insurance. I like the way that Joe has laid out the book. Uh, just as a reminder, his podcast is called Stacking Benjamin. So part one is stacking your first Benjamin. Part two, building a stack of Benjamins. Part three, holding on to Benjamins without burying them in the backyard. And uh, part four, stacking Benjamins on top of other Benjamins. <laughs> uh, I, I just love, and, and there's and there's humor strewn throughout the book. Uh, Joe's just a really funny guy and Emily uh, as well. Uh, what do you mean when you say that Benjamin stacking is all inside your head. Like the, the, these concepts, getting your head wrapped around uh, this journey is really about mindset. Yeah, we have two chapters in the book about mindset. We went back and forth about Emily and I about whether we wanted to cover mindset or not. Mm. Whether because most of the book, as you know, is tactical, practical tips, and it is built, as you said, our our. And as a guy who talks about books and how they're built all the time, just as an aside, the 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 inspiration for this book was the Hardy Boys Detective Manual and the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. Mm. And when we were pitching this book to Penguin Random House and other places, that was our pitch. We're on a Zoom call it's in the middle of COVID, and we. We said, hey, so what we want to do is take the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, <laughs> combine it with the Cub Scout Wolf Guy, make it for adults and about money. What do you think? So we have achievements throughout the book, and they go from easy achievements at the beginning to tough achievements at the end. The, 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 the last part of the book's really nerdy. The beginning of the book is incredibly foundational. Mm. But, but, but we, we wondered, to directly answer your question, we wondered about mindset. But you know, behavior, Jeff, plays such a big part of this game. And I would always find when I was a financial planner, and even we get questions to the show, I would find so many people that aren't having a struggle understanding concepts or looking for, because there's so many places online to look for, like, how does X thing work? How does a mutual fund work? How does a, how does a savings account work? How do I, how do I automatically get stuff saved? Well, you know, what, what are these different insurances you're talking about? All that's already out there. The reason we don't reach our goals is not because... We're paying too much in fees while people talk about that all the time. And I agree that controlling your fees is important. We don't not reach our goals because of the fact that that, that we maybe, and we just talked about insurances, that I might be doing my insurances a little inefficiently. We don't reach our goals because just quite frankly, we don't save. We don't automate. Our lizard brain thinks about today versus thinking about tomorrow. And so we make some we, we make some decisions that are very suboptimal during the day. It's, it's just like working out. I hate working out. I can't stand it. I love it afterwards, but I hate it ahead of time. And I love this. I don't remember who the author was, but I love this book a long time ago that told me that if you work out before your brain knows you're doing it. So if you get your butt out of bed very quickly and you just get your butt out, as you know, once I'm out there on the trail, once I'm out there at the gym or doing whatever I'm doing, I'm great. I just got to get, get into it a little bit. So mindset with money is exactly the same thing. Action beats inaction most of the time. 
actually doing something and getting it saved. Now, the exception to that is with investing. With investing, actually, we have to train ourselves to do something that's very not, very not human, which is once we get maybe some broad-based index funds and things get bumpy, we actually have to do nothing. And it drives us crazy because doing nothing is generally the best thing to do in that case. So, so training yourself on mindset is the best way to stack more Benjamins. You know, one thing that we like tactically to get that done is something called an investment policy statement. And this is what pros use. Pros use this thing where they say, okay, we're going to invest money this way. I'm going to buy these broad-based index funds. I'm going to diversify them this way. I'm going to have this percentage here, this percentage here, this percentage here. And then when these conditions happen, that's when I'm going to make a move. So then here's what you avoid. The Ukraine horrible stuff that happens over there starts, financial markets begin shaking. You don't then immediately go, oh my goodness, I need, well, let me take that back. Your brain will still go, oh my goodness, I need to change. I got to do something about my money. I got to protect stuff. I got to do it. Nope. Professionals do not react to Mm. every single stimuli. Professionals work on this machine. So if you feel like the machine is broken or it's not great, you spend your entire life tweaking that machine, Jeff, and making it better and better and better. So instead of responding to everything, you tweak your machine and then you tweak Mm. the machine. And you know what? Then during the day, you read the paper and you go, oh, this horrible stuff happened in the market's down, but my machine isn't broken. Mm. My machine works just fine. So investment policy statement will help you stay on the straight and narrow when your brain wants to subvert your plans. You know, you mentioned Scout handbooks and Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys, uh, some of my favorite books as a kid. And I still have my original Cub Scout handbook from the 70s on the bookshelf uh, behind me. So you're speaking my language when you combine those two. <laughs> my, I was at Powell's Bookstore when the idea for this book came. I don't know if you've been there. It's in Portland, Oregon. It's like a block mm-hmm. long. And I love like you, we are kindred spirits here, my friend, because mm-hmm. I love just getting lost in sections that have nothing to do with my subject matter, right? Mm-hmm. Because I find that these weird synapses connect and I get these wonderful ideas. So I'm in the kids section and I saw the Hardy Boys detective manual uh, on the shelf. And, mm. I, and I went, and I had already, by the way, I'd written a book and I wrote it over 10 years and it was horrible. Mm. It was just rotten. And it, 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 I don't know, it wasn't the way that we talk about money in our show, which mm. I think stacked as much more the way we talk about money usually. And I thought, man, I just went back to fourth grade. I remember like my dad pulling out of the driveway on a wet day, a muddy day. And my brother and I are out there analyzing the tire tracks to see, you know, how the perpetrator, what his tires look like. (laughs) And then my mom would touch doorknobs and my brother and I are over there with tape, right? We're we're taping the doorknobs so that we can get the fingerprint because you don't Uh, know where mom's been. But then we flew home. I was living in Detroit at the time. We flew home. And speaking of the, the, the Cub Scouts, my mom had left all of this stuff on our kitchen table. She's a key to our house, left all the stuff on our kitchen table. I was 50 years old at this time, Jeff. My mom's finally given me the crap out of the attic. <laughs> she's given me this. She's she's okay with the fact that Joe can finally maybe handle the, <laughs> the father-son fourth place bowling trophy, you know, and, uh, and my Cub Scout Wolf guy was in there. Mm. But I thought about this and I think this is an important concept too. A lot of what we talk about money's hard. I mean, mm. it is, the concepts are simple, but actually getting you to do something is hard. But how great is gamification? If you turn these 
tough things into a game, you're not so afraid of failing anymore. Like right. let's, let's, let's take failing away. And instead let's build in these achievements that we get. You know, I interview these FinTech people all the time that make these fantastic financial technology apps. Like we talked about with the subscription people, mm-hmm. they turn all this stuff into a game. Robinhood got in trouble for turning things too much into a game. Mm-hmm. Every time you did the wrong thing with your money by buying a rotten stock, they would have this confetti come out and they actually got sued <laughs> because they made it too much of a game. Wow. But gamification, when you use your powers for good, can work really well. And the Cub Scouts did that super way, way before mm. apps did. I love this conversation. I'm going to have to wrap it up soon, but I, you know, I've got a question or two I want to ask you not related to the book. Before we do that, though, Joe, anything else from the book that I didn't ask? Do you want to make sure we, we know? You know, the, one big question that we get that's from the back of the book is about hiring advisors. D- do I need a financial advisor? And whether you may need a, a CFP, and I like a certified financial planner who's a fiduciary in your corner, I do like that. I just think we need advisors in general. And this has nothing to do with money. I think this idea that I see online all the time, should I have a financial advisor? And, and the answer always is, no, you're smart enough to do this yourself. That's the wrong question. It's the wrong answer. Mm. Of course, you're smart enough to do this yourself. You, you, you read not just my book. You read, you read any book, a few books on finance. You can do this yourself, mm. but we still mess things up and we don't do it well. So I have advisors in my life who make me smarter. And my goal is to surround myself with people who are smarter than me as often as I possibly can. So I, I, I will always overpay for good coaches in my corner. Uh, I look at it like Mary Barra running General Motors, you know, being a Detroit guy, GM is not the strongest company in the world, but the fact that she has kept that company relevant mm-hmm. and in the game now, as we transfer toward electric vehicles and all these exciting technologies and GM's technology is as good as anybody else's. Mary doesn't hand her things over to the head of her departments and say, Hey, car people, six months from now, tell me how we did. You take it and tell me how we did with this car thing. No, mm-hmm. you can't abdicate the throne. So hiring advisors does not mean handing stuff over to somebody who magically makes it better. The person has to make you stronger. If they're not, I agree with all these online people, you should fire those people. Mm. If they're taking it away from you, you've abdicated the throne. You need to be the CEO, surround yourself with people that know cars as well as you do. But what do you still do? You still go to all the money meetings. You still read all the money books. You still dive into it as much as you can. Mary is as smart as anybody about cars, but she still has other smart people around her. So the question isn't, am I smart enough? The question is, is how fast do I want to go? And if the answer is, I think I can go faster, I should have good advisors around me, whether it's for your health, whether it's for your for your finances, whatever, which is you know, why I'm such a fan of your podcast, because really those advisors are in these books that we read, right? Yeah. And that goes to my, my next question. I wonder if you might share a book, a title or two that over the years, your life, your career has impacted you that, that you maybe go back to again and again or, or recommend to other people read. Man, I've got two. I'm going to give you the non-finance one first, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And it's a little tiny book. When people see it, they it doesn't seem like a book that will hit you that hard. It's by a guy named Austin Kleon, and mm-hmm. it's called Steal Like an Artist. Mm-hmm. And I think that anybody, no matter what you do, adding creativity to your life and figuring out how to remix and pay homage to these things that you appreciate and that you love, mm-hmm. but making them your uniquely your own 
is fantastic in almost any line of work. And certainly in mine, like this book, we talked about the Hardy Boys Detective Manual. We talked about the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. I stole like an artist with those. Mm-hmm. My podcast, I was listening to Car Talk when we created our podcast. And if, if anybody out there knows Car Talk, it's one of the, the, the gentlemen sadly died a couple of years ago, but they still play it on the air. Why? Because they're fun episodes and the point isn't to learn anything about a car. So <laughs> stacking Benjamins, the point isn't to learn anything about money. It's the surround sound and having fun with the topic because so many people are intimidated by cars and with us with money. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Our show has a hidden track at the end. I got that from an Xbox podcast called, called uh, the Major Nelson uh, official Xbox podcast. <laughs> like all this, just take this stuff in other areas and make it yours. And what that doesn't mean, and Austin's clear about this, and I want to be clear too, there's no joy and there's no fun in stealing other people's stuff. There's zero. It's not going to be fun for you. There's no creativity, but creativity is born in how do I take this thing make it uniquely mine, still pay homage to the author, tell everybody where you got it, but make it so that if people didn't know it, it really is uniquely yours. I, I love Steal Like an Artist. And it's, a, it's this little tiny book that you can take and pick up and just open to any random page and you'll get this big burst of inspiration. Mm. Second book, and this one has a lot more to do with money. I never thought this was a big book for me. Like when I first read, read it in the 90s, I was underwhelmed. And most everybody's heard of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And you know what? I seriously, Jeff, when I first read that, I was like, yeah, okay. These seem pretty basic. I reference this book all the time, like constantly. And and you know what's funny? Sharpen the saw, continually do it. And this is obviously the basis of your podcast, Read the Lead, mm-hmm. is, is sharpen that saw so that you're able to do better tomorrow than you did yesterday. With my podcast, I think you were at the podcast movement conference in Fort Worth a few years ago when Roman Mars were on, was on the main mm-hmm. stage. Yeah, yeah. Roman said something there that I firmly believe, which is, I'm embarrassed by the podcast I made a year ago, and I hope like heck I'm embarrassed by these podcasts I'm making today a year from now. Mm. Like I'm always trying to sharpen the saw and improve. But the second thing, and this has a lot more to do with my book, is begin with the end in mind. Like, like we think so much about what's the right investment, what's the right thing to do, what's the what, what, what path should I go down with my money? Well, you don't start off with your money. If you start off with your goals by doing that timeline exercise, and then you work backward, instead of trying to know everything about everything, you can focus in just on those things that matter to you and your values and your goals. And then you can go deep on those few things and not worry about anything else. Yeah, I find myself, especially with clients referencing from that book, begin with the end in mind in particular, oftentimes, yeah, I identify that. We are kindred spirits. I'm learning that more and more every day. Uh, Some of the similarities are uncanny. One more question, and this has to do with reading habits. I know you're a guy that reads on a fairly regular basis. Uh, When it comes to, uh, let's see, let's say focus, because so many of us struggle with focus we're constantly being pinged with this thing and that thing. And, and for, for more and more people I'm finding today, just to sit down for half an hour and read undistracted is, can be really, really difficult, can be hard. Are there any specific things you do or practice to, to not only read with regularity, but also when you do read to make sure you're able to focus uninterrupted and, and not a victim to distraction? The bad news like you is that I read a lot for my job. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of the nature of our podcast, the interviews we do where they're 15 to 20 minutes long, I find myself reading the first three chapters of a lot of books, Yeah, (laughs) of a a, a ton of books. So I have to do that. But when I really want to dive into a topic, I found two things. Number one, 
I have ADD, something fierce. Mm. Uh, it was undiagnosed for a long time, but when my kids were diagnosed with ADD, they put me through the testing process as well. And boy, oh boy, I have ADD everywhere. Wow. But as my coaches have told me since then, I've had it for so long that I've built these, these systems that work against it. Okay. And so I have found that my calendar rules the world. If I book the time in my calendar, then I block everything out. And and by the way, it's so easy to get distracted. I was at breakfast this morning and I was reading something from the Harvard Business Review about uh, teams and it continually gave me ideas. And I had to continually remind me, and I do this every time I read, which is twice a week. I also try to set the same time. So it becomes a ritual. Mm-hmm. So, so, and I, and I read early in the morning after my workout. So I go and I do my workout and then I read immediately. I try to do creative stuff in the morning because as men, I just talked to a, a woman, Dr. Amy Shaw, and she talked about the circadian rhythm and, and how, especially for men and testosterone, we have a lot of creativity in the morning. I've got a ton of creativity. I got a, so I try to position my day where I'll do these creative things like reading in the beginning of the day, followed by, by the way, a journaling that where I take all the ideas from the book and I make sure whatever I read that I get down any ideas of things that I might want to implement or think about later. But that's what I do. Twice a week, I try to carve out not as much time as I'd like, but, but I try to make sure I get 30 minutes of stuff that I like. And a book that I'm reading now is uh, Daniel Lamar, Balancing Acts. And Daniel Lamar, you won't know that name, but you'll know this. He was the longtime CEO of Cirque du Soleil. And it is a wonderful book about creativity and about how even if you think you don't need creativity, you know what my best lesson is? And you and I were talking about charity earlier. Best lesson I've gotten out of this book yet. He talks about how he was giving and he helped the creator of Cirque du Soleil with some things early in his career. Later on, when Cirque du Soleil was huge and Daniel was struggling, the Mm. Cirque du Soleil creator came back and helped him. And he said, Mm. you find these people in the world, Jeff, and they're takers and they take and take and take and take. And And he said this. He goes, he goes, you don't have to be a natural giver, but even if you're a taker, I'll tell you, you'll get to take a heck of a lot more if you become a giver. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. It totally totally is. He goes, in your brain, you can be as takery as you want. He didn't say takery. That's fine. (laughs) I like that. You reminded me, I do the same thing you do uh, when it comes to anything I want to get done, reading or otherwise, to me, it's all about blocking time out for it in my calendar. And as long as I do that 99 times out of 100, that time is protected. What I scheduled for that time actually happens. Sort of the Michael Hyatt mantra, what gets scheduled gets done. That that for me is the key for sure. I don't even go to a to-do list anymore. If I need to do something, it goes directly on my calendar. Yeah. Well, the book again is called Stacked Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. Joe and his co-author, Emily Guy Birkin. Joe, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Really appreciated having you after all this time, finally on the Read to Lead podcast. <laughs> now my mission is complete. By the way, if I can say one more thing, it's not sure. complete. If you're anywhere around the country, I'm on a 40 city tour, come hang out with us. And if you want to meet some local money nerds, stackingbenjamins.com slash stack has all the cities as we record this. I'm in Austin, Texas right now, but we're going to be hopefully coming to a city near you. So come hang out with us. Say hi. Well, Joe had a lot of great resources to share during the course of that conversation, apps and books. I've got links to everything he mentioned on my website, and there's a page dedicated to this episode. You'll find it at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 419 for episode 419. 
Don't forget while you're there to check out that form on the upper right of the page, put your first name and email address so you're on my list. You get a free gift right away, but you'll also be on my list as I begin over the coming weeks talking about how I've altered the way I take notes. It's revolutionized for me how I read. It's increased the likelihood that I'll actually act upon what I read, and it makes sure that I'm able to connect things I read today with things I read tomorrow that in itself generates consistently new and exciting ideas. I have got some amazing people just ahead in the coming weeks on the Read to Lead podcast. Whitney Johnson, Jordan Rayner, Mark Miller making his second visit to the show. And next week, the two men who wrote one of my favorite productivity books ever called The 12-Week Year, Brian Moran and Michael Lennington, will be here to discuss their brand new book, Uncommon Accountability. It's awesome, so make sure you're here next time. Well, that does it for this time. Until next time, please remember that leaders read and readers lead. I'll see you then.